talking about Advent, and um, you know, when, when Jesus began to, to preach and to teach and all that stuff, and he began his public ministry, um, his general message was to repent because the kingdom of heaven was at hand, um, and uh, that basically is saying that um, he was telling people that the kingdom that you've been living under is not the kingdom that um, you have to stay under. That there was a new way of thinking, of living, that was available um, through him. Um, that uh, the kingdom of living for yourself, um, the kingdom of uh, being pushed around by, let's say, like a, a government or by injustice, or by sin, or however you want to look at it, that those those things that tended to be the worldview for everybody, um, he said, you can can turn from that, you can repent from that, and the kingdom of God, the kingdom of, of heaven, is now available to you. And that was um, kind of a, a big shift for a lot of people. And so much of what um, we uh, push for and strive for as believers is to is to learn more, more and more and more and more what that looks like in real life. Um, the the fact that we we think differently and we act differently and we approach life completely differently, um, and 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 trying to learn what that looks like in everyday life when it pertains to different things about life. And so, as a Christian, you know we um, we look at everything differently. We look at our jobs completely differently than people who are not. Christians. We, we step into the kingdom of God that is at hand, that is available to us, and so when we, we look at our job, it's done in that mindset and not, you know, an old mindset. And so um, we look at our jobs differently as far as how is this going to uh, glorify God? How can I, as an employee, um, glorify God the most? How does God want to use me to bring glory to Him in, in my job, whether it's through relationships or by doing a good job or by, you know, um, relationships with your boss and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, however you want to look at it. Um, so we, we look at that differently. We take jobs and turn down jobs differently because we are um, stepping into the kingdom of God and we're stepping out of the kingdom of self, let's say, okay? Um, and so there's just different logic there. We look at our money completely differently. And that's a hard one for us, and that's a part of what we're, we're trying to get better at is, is, is a more kingdom of God mindset when it comes to finances. You know, um, we, we look at, uh, we celebrate differently. You know, when we go out and we tailgate on the parade grounds, um, there's, we tailgate differently than other people. Um, it doesn't mean that we don't have fun. Um, there are just some things maybe that aren't present at our, you know, canopy that are present at other ones, you know, whatever. It's, there's, there's just, there's a, a difference there. You know, we, we, we do everything just kind of, we're just kind of weird, basically. And um, we were at the Passion Conference last year. Francis Chan, he put it really, really well. He said, you know, he said, some of you um, are, like, you fit in when you should be weird. 
He said, but some of you are you're weird when you should fit in. And, and the idea being that we need to really to look at as we go through life, and there needs to be times where we're like, look, like let's take, let's take tailgating, okay? Um, we, um, we could fit in or we could be weird. You kind of have to look at it kind of two ways. And so we could, we could either fit in and join in with everything else. We could be like um, too weird and stay home and, you know, turn off our TVs and refuse to, you know, bow to the gods of football or whatever. Or we could, uh, we could be weird and kind of fit in, like kind of that mixture of we can get out there and we can have a good time, we can whatever, and, and, but there's just something that's, that's different about us. Um, and, and that kind of applies to all these different areas of life. And so as we're looking at different things, we have to, to kind of figure out, okay, is this a time where I'm supposed to fit in and connect with my culture, you know, in order to, uh, to build relationships and to um, stand up for the cause of Christ and, and, the king, and all that kind of stuff? Or is this something where, um, where I need to be kind of weird? You know, is this something where people need to look at how I'm handling this and be like, okay, you're a weirdo. And there are some times when we need to fit in and sometimes when we need to be weird. And when it comes to Christmas, we've got to be weird. I think that we are called to weirdness, especially this time of year. Some of you guys, not a very big stretch. Okay, I'm in that camp too. Um, there's, there's a weirdness that, um, that comes with the way we approach things. And, and this whole deal of, of Advent conspiracy has kind of given us uh, a framework within which we can be weird this Christmas. And we cannot fit in. And we can refuse to fit in uh, as far as how our culture celebrates this time of year. Um, last week we talked about, um, about just spending less. And the simplicity of the Christmas story and how, you know, when, when you look at all the different elements and the, the location and the way that the story plays out and it's, Joseph was simple, Mary was simple, um, shepherds are simple, um, the, the wise men, I mean, you know, they're, uh, they're, they were simple. They weren't necessarily, you know, kings of different countries or whatever, but they were some simple guys. They were smart and all that kind of stuff, and we'll talk about them a little bit more tonight. Um, but, but there's a simplicity there and just, just the, whole, the whole deal. Um, but how within each thing that is so simple, there's just an enormous amount of depth. That, that there are all these promises being uh, fulfilled that God had made and, and the impact that's had on history. Um, the, the redemptive plan for mankind being launched forward in the form of a little baby. I mean, that's, that's deep. It's, babies are simple, but there's a lot of depth to what was going on there. Um, you know, there, there's, and so with the simplicity and the depth of the Christmas story and, and what happened with the incarnation being so amazing, um, we talked about how what has happened to us in our culture is that it has become something that is, instead of simple, it's become very complicated. And instead of, of being um, deep, it has become shallow. And how um, our Christmas, what we're going for this year and for every year, forever, um, is, is, to, is to turn that upside down, to escape the complexity and the shallowness of what Christmas has become, and to turn it right side up, and to make it simple again, and yet to return to that depth, where all the things that we do have, have meaning and impact. And so spending less is one way to do that, and, and, and 
like I talked about last week about refusing to, like don't compete with your siblings and don't try to one-up what the other person gave you and don't give out of obligation and don't try to one-up last year and don't keep score and like all this, you know, practical stuff or whatever. Um, we're going to kind of transition into tonight. Uh, tonight's idea is, is uh, to give more. That if we're spending less, well, how do you give more? It seems to not really make sense. Um, but, and everything that's coming at us, you know, if you watch, you start really paying attention to commercials, um, there's so much that's coming at us that's like, you know, um, like, like let's take Best Buy. You know, their, their slogan this year is, you, happier. You know, come to Best Buy. And it's, it's still you, but you're happier because you have all this electronic stuff that'll be out of date in three months. Um, and that's the, the whole implication there. And that's, that I know, understand it's marketing. They're a business. And I'm not, I'm not going after Best Buy and saying, let's boycott them because they're just doing what they need to do. It's not about that. It's, it's about the parts of us that that kind of, of advertising, that consumerism, the part, part of us that that connects with, and that part of you that's like, I would be happier if I had that. You know, I am unhappy because my you know, computer or whatever is out of date. There is happiness in my future if I can persuade Santa to bring this to me or whatever. You know? um, and so our, our, our culture is, is just kind of in that, that place. Um, great, great example was on the office this past week um, where Dwight was like, you know, he found that the um, unicorn princess doll was the hot item this year, so he bought them all up in all the stores for weeks and then would sell them at an enormous profit um, to parents who were too lazy and waited till the last minute to buy their kids a gift. And, um, but what's funny was like you'd have these parents that would come in, and, and I know it's a TV show, okay? I'm in touch with reality. But they're forking over like 200 bucks for a doll. And of course at the end, you know, there's, uh, uh, well, anyway, uh, it, it's great, great. But what's funny, and that's, it's one of those, you know, art imitating life situations, is that is exactly how, how things are. You can go on eBay tonight, and you can find a Nintendo Wii, as hard as they are to get. You will pay a lot of money for it, because that's, that's, where, that's where we've wound up. And there are parents who are paying lots and lots of money for things off of eBay, because you can't find them, and, uh, and whatever. And that's, that's kind of where we've landed. And so... That has made things really complex and made things really shallow for us. And if we're going to turn that upside down and we're going to spend less, there still has to be a way for us to spend less, but to still connect with the relationships that we have and to connect with people and to still let them um, know what they mean to us at this time of year when that's, that's what everybody's doing. And so I want us just to talk for a minute about how do we, how do, we do that, really? How do you spend less and still give more? Like those two things, things seem to be opposite of each other if you start to look around our world because the world says you give more by spending more. And the more you spend, the more, you, you know, whatever. So we're going to talk about that. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 2. Um, I uh, was trying to figure out how to, how to do this. And this, this whole admin conspiracy thing has been hard for me to preach about. Because it's so stinking simple. And I don't know about you, but it has messed up Christmas for me in a good way. But it has messed me up. My parents are wearing me out wanting to know what I want for Christmas. I'm like, I, anything I think of, I'm like, I can't. I don't need that. I don't need that. Stupid having conspiracy. 
you know, uh, it's messed me up and my parents are mad at me. And so, um, but, but I, I sense that it is, it is changing things. And I don't think that, that this Advent conspiracy deal is a fix all. I don't think we're going to walk out of this Christmas and be like, you know what? I'm not consume, a consumer anymore. I'm not driven by that. I don't like stuff anymore. I don't care about money. I, it's a part of our sanctification process as we grow and we mature. Um, and so I was, was, was just really being like, okay, God, what do you want us to talk about? And there are, are two parts of the Christmas story where um, something is given as a gift. So I was, I was drawn there, and I was like, well, I think that's what we're supposed to talk about. Now, the obvious beginning place is the wise men. And um, I kind of joked last week about them, you know, whatever. And so I did a little bit more homework this time, and I want us to kind of look at their story again. So in Matthew chapter 2 is where we, um, we see all about them. Let's start in verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of, Jude, of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. When you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Okay, so Herod is very much threatened at this point. Um, Rome is in control of things. Herod has been declared king under the authority of Rome. And so, um, you know, for many, many, many years, there was this Messiah that was going to be born. And he probably wasn't paying that much attention to it because obviously there was a star like six miles away um, that had appeared. And it had been like two years and he hadn't heard about it. And so... Um, Two years after Jesus is born, at least two years, we know, because a little while later he says, I want every boy killed that's two years older older, younger, and so you can kind of set up your own timeline in there. Um, so for two years this has been going on. These guys show up, and they're like, where is he? We're here to worship him. And Herod's like, I don't know what's going on. He gets kind of confused. Um, so he, he sends them on and says, yeah, look, you know, let me know, because I want to worship him too. Um, now you know that's not true, because... The Messiah that was going to be born would basically take his place. And so he was very threatened, and which is why ultimately he says, kill all the boys that are two years old or, old or younger, because he wants to make sure that nobody comes and is a threat uh, to him. So these guys come from the east. Uh, we don't really know what that means other than the term magi um, was used to, to um, 
for people who are into uh, who are experts in like astrology um, and studying all the stuff with the stars, um, not celebrities, but stars, stars. Um, they were um, they were were the experts in their region when it, it comes to those things. And so they would have, have seen this star or heard about this star or whatever, and they would have connected it with um, the prophecies that the uh, Israelites held to. And so they at some point started off on this journey. We don't know where, uh, when or whatever, um, but they were, were Persian and they were Magi, and somehow at some point they've become kings in our mind, but they were probably more like scientist-type people experts. They show up um, and you know, they go to Jerusalem. Six miles south of Jerusalem is Bethlehem. They show up there um, and all we know is it says that they, they saw him. They saw the baby. They well, Let me read it again. Let's make sure. Um, going to the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother. They fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now they probably um, most experts think that these were gifts that they brought with the intention of giving them to him. Um, I kind of joked last week about it was probably just all they had on them or whatever. Um, but, but the more I looked into it, they think that, that they had every intention of, we're going into the presence of, of a baby king, of a king that has been born, or a young infant king, and so we're not going to show up empty-handed. We're going to bring things that are appropriate to give a king in this situation. And some, some think that... Um, this was going to basically finance the next uh, little while for Mary and Joseph and Jesus. That All these things obviously had value, and so this was God's way of supplying their needs to get them to the next point. Some think it was prophetic because uh, myrrh was used in embalming bodies. Uh, it was a, a resin-type thing. Uh, frankincense was um, used to make the perfume that goes in the most holy place in the temple, and so you can kind of connect those things to Jesus' future or whatever, um, but I, I kind of lean toward what a lot of people lean toward, that this, they were like, we're going to go see a king, and we're going to bring something of value, because this is what is appropriate, and this conveys to you the respect that we have, that there is meaning, and there is intent, and there is purpose behind what they do. So if that's where gift giving at Christmas comes from, then we need to connect that dot into our, our own lives, and we see that, that giving gifts with meaning and intent to convey something to someone else needs to be a part of what we do. That we are giving more when that really happens. And I, like, I love a gift card. I think that like, that is the best invention ever as a receiver of gifts, right? Anybody with me? You love getting gift cards. Why? Because you got total freedom. You can go buy whatever you want. You don't have to re- fight the return lines. You don't have to whatever. And it's, it's like it's completely cool between the two of you. Now, as someone, as a giver of gifts, isn't there something just kind of cheap about it? Don't you just feel bad? Every time I've given one, like to my brothers, I'm like, I, I'm sorry. It was, I was at Circle K, and it was like right there by the gum. I had nothing. I was on my way to Christmas Eve dinner. Uh, I didn't even wrap it. Uh, here's the receipt. I bought a Butterfinger at the same time. Sorry. Uh, you know, whatever. Um, there's something weird about when you give them because you feel like you're just selling out. And even if they want it, you know, like both my brothers, like they'll ask for it. Like, dude, just give me a gift card or whatever. That's what I want. You still feel bad because it's so stinking impersonal. 
And I think that weirdness that we sometimes have with buying gift cards for people, it's because there's something not quite right about it. There's something weird about it, especially at Christmas time. It's almost like with a birthday, it's okay, but with Christmas, you're like, ugh. And that's why, because gift giving needs to have some meaning to it, some intent behind it. These, these wise men showed up, and they were like, we want you to know that we respect you. And to show you this, here's some gold, here's some frankincense, and here's some myrrh. These things are, are valuable to you. We want you to know that you are valuable. And so, by spending less and giving more, the more comes from, from the meaning behind the things that we're actually giving. By putting some actual thought into it. And, and some people are so good at that. Like, I mean, they'll, they'll spend months preparing to give a Christmas gift, you know. But some of us are really bad at it, I think. And so a lot of times when you're bad at it, you end up just spending more and hoping that the value of what you give is going to make them feel awesome. Like when Michael Scott bought the iPod, and there was a $20 limit, and he both put the iPod in the mix, and they all started fighting over it or whatever, because he wanted to be awesome, because he like, went out and spent 400 bucks instead of $20 or whatever, and there's that weird thing that goes on. Why is the office so awesome? Um, but, but it's such a reflection of where we're at. So, so here's the thing. We're, we're looking to worship fully. We're looking to spend less, but we want to give more. How do we do that at the same time? Here's, here's a few things before I go on to the next point. One thing that, that, that you can do um, is you can put some thought and some prayer into what you're going to give. And you can really sit down and say, okay, I'm, I'm not going to just go get the automatic thing. I'm really going to think about this some more. Some people have, have decided that they're not giving any gifts this year. That instead of giving gifts, they're going to contribute to this offering that we're taking. I think that's pretty remarkable. And we've, we've printed up something that, that may help you a little bit. Um, and because I know there are a good many people who are going to do this in some form, we print, print up these cards, and uh, it says, Love well, give wells, on the front. It says, People are dying from the lack of clean water. In fact, it's the leading cause of death in under-resourced countries. 1.8 million people die every year from waterborne illnesses. That includes 3,900 children a day. 3,900 children a day because of water. The solution to this problem is directly beneath our feet. Drilling a freshwater well is a relatively inexpensive yet permanent solution to this epidemic. Ten bucks will give a child clean water for life. That's not an estimate, it's a fact. Here's another fact. Solving this water problem once and for all will cost about $10 billion. Not bad considering Americans spent $450 billion on Christmas last year. And it says, this year I took part in Advent Conspiracy because it's my desire to worship fully by loving all this Christmas. The gift of clean water was given in your honor. For more information on your gift, you can visit and it has the, the websites. Merry Christmas. And so we print it up, and we have 100 of these out there with an envelope in it. And what some people are deciding to do is they're saying, instead of giving my parents, let's say, instead of giving them, like, three things, I'm going to give them one thing, and then I'm going to take the other money I would have spent, I'm going to fill out this card, and I'm going to let them know, instead of buying you something that you're going to garage sale in six months, 
I'm, uh, I gave money toward this, and so there are, there are six kids who are going to have clean water for life in your honor. Because that's more about Christmas than giving you another pivot drill and um, a, a gravy bowl, a boat. Boat bowl, whatever. See, there's, there's some meaning behind it. That's, that's being weird and not just fitting in. That, I, I think everything about Christmas is worth getting that puzzled look from people that you give this to. Being like, wait, what? Next thing you know, you're able to have conversations or it gets awkward, but it's an okay, healthy awkward. Then they end up going to the website later on and they read what's going on and whatever. I love talking to people who are like, yeah, my parents, they, they think we're the weirdest church ever because we're doing this. And that's awesome because you know what? There's, there's plenty of, of ways we can fit in at Christmas. Christmas is a time to be weird. Let me show you these two things I brought from home. Um, this is... Uh, this is a nice plaid-framed thing. Um, I come from a, a, a long line of uh, cooks. Both my grandmothers were phenomenal cooks. My mom is a phenomenal cook. My dad is learning. Um, and so, but every year, my parents, they give, I have two brothers, they give us each something um, that is more than special. And they put a lot of thought into it and whatever. And so this is one of the things that I got in 2001. My mom wrote it on the back so I wouldn't forget. Um, she, she went to uh, both of my grandmothers, and uh, she, she knows, like, our, our favorite meals that they cook. And so she went to them, and she had them each write out the recipe or how to make our favorite things, one from each grandmother. And she took them, and she, like, framed them. And so I have... Uh, uh, my mamu, that's what we call her, my mom's side. Uh, her pecan pie recipe. And then my mama made this, like, oil and vinegar dressing, like salad dressing. Ugh. And so I have handwritten by them these recipes in a frame. This, I can tell you that I got at Christmas from my parents. I don't know anything else I got that year. These are the things you grab when there's a house fire. Hopefully there's not a house fire. And every year, my parents, they give us stuff, but then they give us something that is more. They give something with meaning and intent behind us. I, I see this as being in the same thought flow as the three wise men showing up and bringing something to Jesus and saying, this is how I feel about you. This, I want this to connect with who you are. I, want, this, I see this as my parents saying, we value you, and we value the relationship that you have with your grandparents, and we want this to continue on. See, that's, that's giving more. There are so many examples. This, this is a sewing machine drawer from those old-timey sewing machines where you'd like have to like push the pedal up and down, you know? Um, and they had four drawers in them, and um, when my dad was a kid, they, uh, they were, lived in, in Liberty, Mississippi, and they had no money. And that was, I mean, it was very much uh, the case for everybody. They had no money ever, ever, ever. And so Christmas time was um, not a time of toys and stuff and excess. 
Um, and so what his parents would do is they would, there were four drawers in the sewing machine, they would take them all out, and they would put them out for uh, Santa to fill up. And so the next morning, there would be, um, like, a, they would all have, like, like an orange, and maybe, like, an apple, um, maybe some, like, pecans and stuff like that, whatever, maybe some mints, something like that. And um, everything that they got for Christmas as kids was, would fit in the sewing machine drawer. And that was the way that, that they grew up. And as, as far back as I can possibly remember, when it came time for us to open gifts on Christmas morning, my family has this weird thing, and we had to like wait in our rooms until my mom played the Johnny Mathis Christmas album. <laughs> and like they kept us pinned up until then or whatever and all that stuff. And so when we heard the beginnings of Johnny Mathis and we would storm into the room, um, they made sure that every time we went to, um, to this, to right in front of the fireplace first, and there were um, always three sewing machine drawers with those same kind of things in it every single year. And we had to, they told us, they're like, you have to go to that drawer first. And my dad would sit down, he would tell us the story, and he would say, you know, I, he's like, I don't want, He's like, I don't want to forget where I've come from, and I don't want you to forget where you've come from. And to look how hard your grandparents worked and how hard we have worked and, and all that. And it, it went from a point where we were like, let's hurry up and do the sewing machine drawers so we can get to the other stuff. And the older we got, the more we began to really understand how important that was. And so a couple years ago, we opened up, we each got our own drawer, and my brother uh, is married, and so they got a set of two, you know, they each got one. See, these are, these are the things that are valuable and important. And so it's been a challenge for me to look at, at the things I'm planning to buy this Christmas and just being like, am I really giving more? Am I really giving with meaning and intent and purpose? Or am I just giving because I'm supposed to give? If you're giving just because you're supposed to give, then that's, that's fine, but that, it has really nothing to do with Advent. It has nothing to do with Christmas. It's not really worshiping our Lord. And so that's a challenge for us, is to, is to figure out how do we spend less, but how do we give more? How do we bring that depth back? How do, how do we come out of Christmas with the people in our lives that we're giving gifts to, knowing the way that we feel about them in a, in a real way? And not like, wow, they must like me. They spent you know, $300 on me. How much better is it to say, wow, they must, they must really know me because they gave to the well cause because they knew that's more important to me. Wow, my parents really, they know me because they know how important these things are. So that's the, that's the, the first thing. Turn to Isaiah chapter 9. In Isaiah 9, we see another example of giving at Christmas time. It's one of the one of the prophecies that handed down through Isaiah. Look at verse 6. We're gonna just look at verse 6. For us to, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
This is another example of giving that in in the incarnation God gave us himself. And of all the things he, he could have, have given, he decided that he was the best gift ever. Because, you know, the Israelites, for, for a long time, they thought that the Messiah was going to be a military leader, or a big political figure. So to them, his birth was going to basically be like, this guy is going to be our, like, William Wallace, who's going to, like, lead us out of this and is going to, by force, retake all this stuff. And we're going to become the next Rome. And God could have done that. He's, he's brought generals into the world before, you know. He's, he's had great military minds, and, and Israel had their time of being dominant as far as military stuff goes. But God decided, no, it's the best present I can give is to give you myself, to give you my actual presence. A return to the Garden of Eden type situation where you had Adam and Eve and you had God and they were in the garden and all of a sudden there was this separation and God was like, you know what, we've been separated long enough. I'm going to take on flesh and I'm going to show up in the form of a baby and I'm going to change the world forever simply by my presence. Just my presence alone. Now one thing we can do is we can, can look at giving your own presence to someone as a gift by spending time with someone, you know, by, by saying, like, this is what I'm going to do with you for Christmas. Uh, we're going to hang out. We're going to actually hang out, like, have conversation, and we're gonna, I'm, I'm going to spend time with you. And, you. and that's, absolutely, do that. We've set up a couple of, of opportunities to go and to give your presence to uh, people at uh, homeless shelters. We had an opportunity yesterday to go spend a couple of hours um, at uh, Maison de Ami. I mean, it was, it was amazing. And so in our presence, that's a, it's a gift. And some of you, that's what, what I, I know because I've heard you talking, that's what your plans are is to say, um, here's what I'm giving you for Christmas. We're going to go work at a homeless shelter. That's going to be my gift to you. And it might, again, being weird where you might fit in. But I, I want us to, to shift away from Advent conspiracy, and I want us to, to, to end this talk tonight really just thinking about your own life. That, that God looked at you and said, the best thing that I can give you is me. There's so many things that we say we want from God, you know. We want Him to save us from this and deliver us from this and heal us from this and bless us in this way and do this and this and this and this. And all throughout Scripture, God's just trying to beat this into our heads that He's like, I'm all that you need. I've given you everything that you need. And in the giving of Christmas and Him leaving heaven and coming to earth, He's like, look, here, here it is. There's all kinds of stuff that you want, but the one thing that you need, you have, is my presence in your life. We look in, in that verse... Um, you, need, you need counsel. Hey, God designed the entire universe. Who's more wise to give you counsel on your life? He's given, he's given that to us. 
full access to the wonderful counseling. Mighty God. Full access to the mighty God that we sang about. He's mighty to save. He's mighty to do the amazing, impossible things that are out there. We write prayer requests on those cards back there every week. It says Jesus Christ has the power to, and you fill it in. And that's, it's because of his presence that those things happen, that we can fill those cards out in confidence. The everlasting Father, there's no end to his care and his provision, that the economy can fluctuate and wars can happen and, and bad things can go down, and yet he continues to provide the things that we need simply by him giving himself to us, his very presence. And the Prince of Peace, the authority holder of peace. All these things are, are gifts. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. What a great starting place. Now I realize that's really like self-focus, you know, that we, we don't worship because of all the stuff that we get. But the stuff that we get is a reflection of the heart and character of our God. And so when we talk about giving more, I mean, he gave. He gave it all. What's more to give than yourself? And that's what, that's what we respond to. We respond to that kind of gracious, loving, compassionate, merciful God who looked at us and as offensive as sin is and as deserving of obliteration as we were, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the kind of God I want to draw near to. That's the kind of God that I delight in. That's the kind of God that I struggle to see all the time, especially when my world is so just full of, of, of clutter and things that aren't important. I think it goes back to like God trying to get that across to us, like simplify your life. Look at the things that are important. And in the simplicity of those things, look at the depth that is there. And I think if we step out and, and we say, you know what, I'm, I, want, I want to worship fully in everything this Christmas, and I want to spend less, and I want to give more. I want to turn that um, upside down. I want um, to be weird this Christmas. I think if, as we do those things and we wade slowly into this weirdness, I think we're going to see God really change some things about how we think and how we feel. And we're going to become more and more and more of the people that we really want to be. And it's all made possible by his presence in our lives, which is, which is what Christmas comes down to. Of him being that amazing. And so in a second, we're going, to, we're going to stand up, we're going to sing some more songs, we're going to respond to, to that God. And these are more songs of Advent, more songs of the coming of Christ, the making of all things new, um, everything that Christmas is really all about. So let's pray together. We're going to just take the time to respond thoughtfully and carefully tonight.
Pray with me, please. Father, we love you. And and there's a lot of things that are trying to get in our way. A lot of things that, that want to be the focus right now. God, you know how busy we are, and you know how chaotic this season gets. But God, we don't want to. We don't want to live that way. We don't want to. We don't want to fit in like that. God, help us to be weird, and not that it means that we're all, you know, Scrooge and we're all negative about everything and. On that, God, we just we want to convey to you everything that's in our hearts when we start to think about who you are and the fact that you you gave us the gift of your presence and your power at work in our hearts, in our minds, in our midst. Um, God, you know the parts of us that need to be refined and buffed and, and, and worked out and, and to things that need to, to shine more brightly than they do. You know the struggles that we have. You know the battles that are going on. You know the things that we are longing and begging for you to do. God, we know that every one of those things is in your hands. We know that in every situation, it is your presence that makes the difference. So we look to you, God, as our wonderful counselor, as our mighty God, as our everlasting Father and as the Prince of Peace. God, help us to not take for granted the fact that there's nowhere we can go and be out of your sight. That you are with us at every moment. That you never leave us, you never forsake us. Now we thank you so much for the gift of your presence. It is what makes life worth living. It is where real hope comes from. And with that, Father, and that truth comes joy that is exceedingly great. Love you, Father.